Well, again, I want to thank all of you for your testimony, your insight, um, <clears throat> the expertise that you bring to this discussion. I'm now going to recognize the members for five minutes of questioning, and I'm going to start with myself, and there's just a couple of comments that I'd like to make in listening to you. One of the things that I really appreciate that you've brought today is you've brought solutions. We don't always see that. We don't always see where our witnesses come in and have a list of things that they think need to be done to address the issue that is, is creating the problem at hand. So I appreciate that. Um, Congress sometimes doesn't always act in, in uh, as quickly as, as you would think or that you would want, but at the same time, bringing this list to us allows us to better focus on what is actually going to be a solution because a lot of times I think government is always trying to fix its last solution and that becomes very inefficient and very wasteful of our resources. Um, I, I especially appreciate the comment that we need to be interpreting regulations and statutes in favor of the tribes and in favor of resolving the issue rather than creating more barriers. That's another thing as, a, as an attorney who has dealt with regulations and administrative agencies for decades, I feel that so much of the work that our agencies do is to create barriers rather than to create roadmaps. And I appreciate the idea of coming up with more ideas or coming up with, with more solutions as to how these things can be interpreted to actually address and solve the problem rather than creating more problems or more barriers. Um, <clears throat> I also want to note that the that land buyback program spent $1.69 billion to reduce land fractionation on res reservation lands. Uh, but the fractionization has still not on a consistent basis been on a downward trajectory. So we need to consider the fact of whether just throwing more money or providing more money for this is the solution or whether there are other ways that, can, that we can address this. Again, with your expertise, your knowledge of the on-the-ground situation, I think that you are absolutely in the best, in, uh, in the best position to educate us on those, on those other opportunities. I'm going to start with you, Mr. Weatherwax. Um, in your testimony, you note that the Blackfeet Nation has utilized innovative technology when it comes to land management. Could you elaborate just a bit further on that and also if it would be useful to have regional organizations collaborate on land management? If you could just tell us a bit about some of the innovative things that you have done for land management. Oh, for, for land management, uh, we, uh, we've used GPS, the GPS system, historic maps and photos to try to give the tribe the most accurate picture of land ownership and jurisdictional issues. We're tracking land with our own software because we do not have access to TAMS. We have had to reinvent the wheel because we don't have access to the concise federal database. Well, then maybe that's one of the areas that we could address. And I appreciate Mr. Steinberg's com comments about the fact that sometimes with this mapping program, it was the first time that our tribes even had a map of their lands, which is rather stunning to me as I sit here in 2024 to learn that. So I appreciate that information because I think mapping and understanding what is there is absolutely critically important in terms of knowing where we go from here. Uh, Mr. Steinbrook, I, I, uh, uh, well, and Mr. LeBeau, I'm going to go to you, you next. I just have a quick comment. You indicated that your allotments for your ranchers or for your cattle producers is about 1,000 acres per, and it takes 28 acres per cow-calf pair, which means that each 1,000 acres would sustain about 35 head of cattle. 
um, which coming from a ranch, I that doesn't seem like a lot. Um, that seems to be a very restrictive way to raise livestock. Have you found that there are ways that we can increase that to increase the economic development and opportunity for our tribal members? And he just interrupted me, but that's okay because we like Dusty. <laughs> um, that we can that we can increase that allotment or increase those numbers so that we can have additional economic development for our tribal members in terms of cattle production. Yes, that, that would be great if we could increase uh, the production. Um, one way is to you know study the land. Perhaps the grass uh, can support more animals, uh, calf, cow, pair than um, orig- originally thought. And the other way was be to um, do the land buyback, you know, thoroughly through the reservations uh, once again. So this program has helped our tribal members a, a lot, and has we have benefited from it. And um, whether it was through through farming or through ranching, you know, we we come from a reservation that has a majority of our lands, a super vast majority of our lands are used for for ranching. So it, it makes sense to, for a, a for this program to continue once again, so. Okay, well, I appreciate that. I'm out of time. I wish I had more uh, of an opportunity to visit with you, but we'll have we'll have other opportunities. And Representative Johnson, thank you for joining us today. With that, I'm going to call on the ranking member for her five minutes of questioning. Thank you, Madam Chair. And I will say one of the things we often don't hear in this committee is that a federal program is working and working well. I think that's the the most efficient uh, program you've seen. And I think that that is a testimony to the fact of how bad things were and how important it was to finally address it. And thank Kevin uh, for Cobell and the courageous uh, leadership that her and the attorneys took in taking on the United States about its failures of trust responsibility. We've heard uh, that maybe money is not important and that we don't need to throw more money at this issue. But let me ask each of the witnesses, is it necessary for the federal government to actually allocate more money to assist with the land buyback program? Is that an essential element? And uh, uh, I'll just maybe go from left to right. Um, Honorable uh, Councilmember Weatherex, do we need more federal money to assist with the land buyback program? Uh, yes, ma'am. The, uh, the funding is pivotal. The fractionation just spirals unless you can stop it. And, and because there isn't enough tribal money to actually buy back the land. It was the federal government who, who uh, uh, did that. Mr. Chairman, the bow. Yes, uh, this, this program has definitely been a, a, a win for our tribe. And I think for, for, um, for Congress, uh, I, I think it worked out great. And the tribe doesn't have the funds to, to fund programs like this. We often uh, do land purchases with our own funds, but that's limited and on a limited basis. And we currently have uh, tribal members that come in um, very often to, uh, to sell their land. And like I said, we can't always, uh, we're not always able to do that with the funds available. So we think this program worked great on our reservation and we would like it uh, to continue. So thank you. Thank you. Chairwoman Kitchen. Yes, more funding is needed. And I would say we need to expand the scope of of how we um, reacquire the land. In Winnebago, like many other reservations, there were many ways that we lost the land. And so now we have these farm families 
that are retiring and the children or the grandchildren no longer um, want to farm. That's our situation. And so there's these massive um, acreage that the tribe can't afford to buy and but are also once-in-a-lifetime opportunities. And so beyond just the fraction fractionization and, and all the things we've covered today, there are many other ways that this land came out of the tribe's hand. We just saw this movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. We're peeling back the layers of what happened to the tribes and how we reacquire the land is going to take an awareness and acknowledgement of those things and also expanding the scope on other lands that are largely um, held by non-natives within the reservation boundaries. Right, and I think that's an, an, another big issue of how do we get other lands that were taken. In fact, you know, as we know, uh, listening to the, the need for Black Hills to be restored uh, is something that we all should constantly remember on this committee. Uh, uh, Mr. Steinbrook, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the one who's willing to compliment the VA. <laughs> well, the reality of it is um, this situation is going to get much worse unless actions are taken and, and taken over a period of time. And um, I, I think what the program ended up demonstrating is that, yes, you can, you can you do large-scale purchases back to the tribes, but the tribes aren't even in the ballpark when it comes to being able to do that at the scale it needs to be done. Only the federal government is at that that place. We have examples. The Rosebud Sioux Tribe, for instance, has been buying undivided interests under the tribal land enterprise since the 1940s, um, have spent probably at least tens of millions, if not almost $100 million on purchases, and they're still a long ways from being done, um, maybe um, a half of the way there. I think if you don't get on the front end of this deal um, and and stop fractionation at the source, uh, it will cost um, anywhere from we. In fact, in the proposal we made to the department, it was sixty million a year for ten years for the buyback program, and about six million to seven million dollars a year for providing legal services to help people reduce the fractionation through estate planning and other means. Um, and so there's a cost efficiency that needs to happen. Uh, thank you, Mr. Steinberg. My, my time is, has, has expired, but I, I do appreciate the chart that you provided us, which shows both the savings, uh, the upfront savings that we can do, because it's not just money, it is also uh, uh, legal, and uh, uh, $15 billion is a significant amount of money to be saved by your proposals. Thank you very much. The chair now recognizes Representative LaMalfa for five minutes of questioning. Uh, th thank you, Madam Chair. So help me understand this a little bit, that um, um, a private party, a, a tribal member, has land that they wish to sell, they want to move on, you know, they want to go somewhere else, whatever it might be. Not unlike in the agricultural world where the uh, maybe the family wishes to sell, move on, they're not making any money farming, and the kids, the grandkids don't want to do it anymore. This, so this, this is kind of what we're looking at is that, and so we want in this program to not lose that land of tribe or tribal member ownership. That's the bottom line, right? Anybody on the panel? 
Yes, sir. And these are large corporations that are coming in and buying this land on the reservation. Same or, thing in agriculture we face uh, all the time as a or farmer. these auctions that we're learning about mm -hmm. and how we participate in these auctions. And just um, taking control of how we buy back our reservation is not only an effort we're doing through successfully through land back by program, but we're like pulling all our pennies together and we're trying to leverage our resources to how can we Sure, I get done. it. Let me reclaim my time here then. So I'm just looking at it from the, a very broad context here, and I sympathize. I sympathize how land and treaties and how, how much has been broken by federal government outsiders against tribes over the over the decades, the many decades, and such. And uh, but um, I, I guess at what point do we say we don't have to do this anymore? You know, at what point does the federal taxpayer? Um, not have to come in behind because individuals are making individual decisions on their land and saying we need to subsidize tribes to buy this land to keep it in tribes. Is there is there provisions in here um, that would uh, cause that the tribe would permanently own the land that they cannot sell it, or do we should we even have such a provision that says if the federal government helps purchase this land and from the private tribal member and convey it to the tribe, is the tribe allowed never to sell it then? So uh, Councilman LeCount would, or excuse me, Councilman Wetterwax, sorry, I was on the wrong place on the list. Would you wish to touch on that, please? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, I believe the misconception that we are not taxpayers is kind of, kind of, uh, uh, it, it was kind of stuck out there to me, I'm sorry. Um, no, I didn't mean it that way, sir. The, the yeah, broad, yeah. the broad. You know, we're we're talking yeah. billions of dollars of program that you know, fifty states and everybody's going to pay on. I, I, I'm sympathetic what you're talking about, but I'm just yeah. saying, what what is this going to look like long term? When when does there, you know, an expiration date on like, yay, we've we've gotten there, we've done it right? Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't believe there is an expiration date on this. Uh, I believe when when. Um, so there needs to be a permanent program that every time a individual tribal member wishes to sell the land that the federal government should purchase it and give it to the tribe as a whole. I think we should be given that opportunity to, to, um, I think providing tribal land, land buyback money directly would help us in, um, it allows us direct, quick, Local decision making, and that would help. Yeah. And I, I uh, sir, don't don't let, don't let me be misunderstood on this. I'm very sympathetic to a lot of this, but these will be questions I get asked at home. Like, okay, so when do these programs finally culminate here? Because I'm very frustrated about how tribes, the process to uh, to purchase land, say you know uh, surplus lands that the federal government has, and we're working on that with some of our locals at home and such, and to, or to build housing, and they have to go through all these, you know, it requires legislation in Washington, D.C. We shouldn't have to run. I'm, I'm happy to do my job and help and do that. We have done that. But it shouldn't require you having to come hat in hand to this place and ask a Congress member to run a bill so you can purchase a piece of land that might be surplus already to the government. There's a lot of frustration with all this. So uh, it, across the board, but you know, I, I, we can look at, you know, one of my questions was, should there be a revolving fund that Indian country can then consolidate their, leads, their needs over a longer term? 
without having to worry about you know the, the whims of Congress here in the Capitol. Would a revolving fund be helpful in that? Uh, yes, sir. I, I I think we need to work together and try to solve this. I mean, this is a bigger bigger yeah, problem. Yeah, absolutely. I just I just need to you know, is there something that you can look at long term and that this is going to finally work out well? Because I think. Um, Many folks would look at the program and say, "All right, we're willing to help for a time period here, but if there keeps constantly being this changing of hands of land, and then the federal government has to come in and somehow try and fix that, um, it's it's a lot like agricultural land. Ag land ends up being put into land trusts where it could be tied up forever in order for a certain payment." And all that, which yeah, I have a little mixed feeling on that too. About someone saying you have to tie up your land forever as well too, if something changes on your farming operation. So these are just kind of the bigger, broader questions I want us to think about a little bit. So my time is way over, and I better yield back. Thank you, you all, for being well, here. Well, and I thank you, Mr. Lamalfa, and I understand what some of the frustration is, the land buyback program did not have a mechanism to provide revolving funds, which could have worked to sustain land consolidation funding. And I think that's something that we do need to look at. I think that could be something that could be helpful at funding future land purchases so you don't have to come back to this body to be able to move more quickly and address a specific parcel uh, more readily to, uh, to, to deal with the concerns that you have. I want to, again, thank all of you for your testimony today, for traveling here, addressing this issue, because I, I, do, I do think that this is an incredibly important issue. Um, <clears throat> the, the members of the committee may have some additional questions for the witnesses, and we will ask you to respond to those in writing. Under Committee Rule 3, members of the committee must submit questions to the committee clerk by 5 p.m. on Friday, February 2nd, 2024, and the hearing record will be open for 10 business days for these responses. If there is no further business, and without objection, the committee stands adjourned. Thank you.